0: There you go, four punch, five punch, six punch combination. Body shot, body shot, bang, 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 bang. Telling him not to counter punch. <laughs> Boom! Boom! Will Rachman get up with oh, the Iron! One are going through This is for
1: the championship of the world. I expect a tough, clean fight. Protect yourself at all times. welcome fight fans it's time for the main event of the week it is episode 20 of the fight city podcast i'm your host alden kodash joined by zachary Alapi. how are you zach
0: i'm doing well Alden. man thanks for having me on it's a pleasure yeah absolutely
1: so a few days late after this big week of fights but let's get right into it canelo versus jacobs 12 round unanimous decision for canelo alvarez Honestly, until I saw social media after I didn't think there would be any controversy in this one. It's all like it it was a close competitive fight, but one that I thought Canelo was in control throughout the ring general throughout Jacobs came on late. What was your take of that performance?
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree completely. Uh, you know, I didn't score it closely. You know, I think I have a tendency in Canelo fights not to really bother scoring them at this point. Um, <laughs> but no, to be honest, I, I felt like something in the eight four range for Canelo one sixteen one twelve seemed spot on to me. Um, I, I was impressed. I mean, the thing that probably impressed me the most, to be honest with you, was his defense and head movement. I mean, I think he. Yeah, Jacobs to like a 20% overall connect percentage, which is a good like 10% lower than his normal. And, uh, you know, he just couldn't really get anything sustained going. And I give a lot of credit to Canelo for, you know, making him fight the fight Canelo wanted to fight and also at the pace Canelo wanted to fight.
1: Yeah, it really seemed like Jacobs was a bit lost in there strategically. The the switch to Southpaw, and it's something he's done with some success against Triple G, but it seemed like in this fight he wasn't he was kind of just searching for, for looks that would work for him for mm-hmm. through the first half of the fight at least. And the Southpaw stance certainly played into that narrative. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it was a it was a very odd fight plan for a fighter that chose to waive the rehydration clause and cost himself what like uh, maybe up to a million of his two and a half million dollar guarantee? I mean, it didn't it didn't make sense why he would throw away an investment like that on an overly tentative approach throughout the first half of the fight.
0: Yeah, very true. And I mean, the thing that 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 struck me as well was you know Canelo uh, out jabbing him so effectively too. You know, we've seen that in yeah. the two Golovkin fights that was such a, a key punch for Triple G. And you know, not to say that that Jacobs has a jab like Golovkin's, you know, which is arguably the best in the business, but uh, you had to think that with like the the height, the, the 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 length that Jacobs has, the athleticism, ability to change angles and stances, that that was going to be more of a factor. And he just seemed tentative, you know, to really let his hands go, and uh, and 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 Canelo, you know, really kind of, both of them, I mean, when you really think about it, they were setting a lot of traps, they were fainting, uh, but that just played into Canelo's hands because he's so accurate. I think he landed like about 40% of his power punches, if I remember correctly, that he's so good at landing that key punch that makes it seem like he wins an exchange or wins him an exchange, even if he hasn't landed the same volume of punches in that exchange, you know? Absolutely. And so Jacobs, just kind of couldn't win. Like, even when he had his moments of success... Canelo would often land like a really nice left hook or a good solid shot that would kind of give him the exclamation point on that exchange. And 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 I think Jacobs really just kind of had to have more confidence in like his chin and sturdiness and and apply more pressure and make it a bit, you know, dirtier. I don't know, just rough him up, make him uncomfortable because we've seen Canelo gas in the past a little bit. So, you know, you're not going to win a close decision against them. Uh, so, so why not go for it a little more?
1: Yeah, and I thought he was doing that late in the fight when it was just a little too little too late for Jacobs. Uh, yeah. I, I think uh, I think I discussed this with uh, several people is that you know, Canelo is virtually impossible to hit with at least more than one shot in the head. He's so mm-hmm. elusive and he's at his best. Jacobs' best work seemed to be to the body and when he was yeah. pressing the fight late in the fight. And by then, Canelo, um, he didn't have enough taken out of him earlier in the fight for it to be as impactful as it could have been. So I think it was a fight plan from Jacobs that was poorly executed. Uh, maybe he froze under the pressure, but it's probably one that he would want to replay if, if I had to guess. And uh, it's probably a rematch that he's not going to be able to get in the future. If I had to guess, Seems yeah. like his best is at 168, given his difficulties, uh, even meeting a rehydration clause of 10 pounds, uh, but, yeah, it, it looks like uh, his future's at one sixty eight and he might be uh, he might find it difficult to secure some of these big matchups coming down the line.
0: yeah, for sure. and and it was kind of one of those performances where you know it's interesting kind of you know what you think of Jacobs in the aftermath of this because you know, he certainly showed that he has skills, uh, you know, elite skills, obviously. and I don't think anyone w- was questioning that going in and and he certainly reaffirmed it in many ways. but, you know, I think that the kind of like tenacity, the the fighting with that that extra bit of passion yeah. um, was something that, that was definitely definitely lacking. And we, we see these guys who are now, you know, being lined up to get their shot at Canelo, they all kind of say the same thing, right? Like going into the fight or, or talk about what they're going to do to him, or if only I get my crack at him. And then, I don't know, do you think it's more a case of what, the kind of Canelo aura does to someone when they're standing across the ring from him that combined with his skills, like why do these guys kind of not tense up, but not, not, not impose their will or, or, or do enough to make him fight their fight. I,
1: I think he's such a brilliant counter puncher and he's, he's probably a much harder puncher than a lot of people give him credit for that. Uh, his skills just put you it just, just check you from a very early point in the fight. At mm-hmm. least that's what it looked like against Danny Jacobs. Yeah. But I mean I can't attest for a triple G. Uh I, I think Triple G was probably uh surprised in the second fight with the yeah, approach yeah. Canelo took and constantly fighting on the front foot, which was almost polar opposite of the approach he took in the first fight. Uh but you know, I, I think Triple G's fight plan in the second fight, and I think is underrated. I think mm-hmm. outboxing Canelo with the kind of range Triple G has is a way to beat him. In fact, I thought mm-hmm. Triple G won the second fight
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: as well as many others just behind the jab and his boxing ability. And going up in weight, you know, there's been discussions of maybe Callum Smith versus Canelo Alvarez. Cal- mm-hmm. Callum Smith is a very large 168 pounder. He's mm-hmm. six foot 6'3". Yeah. Uh, it could be very dangerous for Canelo down the line. If Canelo wants to move up to 168 and he doesn't have proper introduction to the division, I mean clearly Rocky Fielding <laughs> is a joke that uh <laughs> that might make him a champion, a regular champion on paper, but that doesn't make him much of a threat at 168 pounds against the best until he's you know shown that he could uh fight against longer rangier fighters that that may actually make their size and, and range a factor, like Triple G has. And, uh, it's important to note that, you know, the triple G rematch is still triple G on the way out in a lot of people's opinions. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. I, is that, is that a trilogy that you, you think we're going to see by the end of the year? I mean, Eddie Hearn thinks that's the fight to make in boxing. A lot of people think that I have never been too thrilled about the prospect of a third fight. I guess I might be the odd man out. I just, okay. there's, I, I think I've just seen enough role reversals and possible outcomes between the two in the 24 rounds to think there's anything more for them to offer and of course it'd be a good fight but
0: yeah no i know what you mean i i I do feel like a bit a bit sort of deflated when i think of the whole uh canelo triple g narrative just in terms of you know the the slight kind of like delay of the first fight, the controversy and the scoring of the first fight, uh, you know the the clenbuterol and tainted meat and and just like the kind of genuine animosity that's developed between them, and then kind of seeing Golovkin's persona change a little bit, like you almost get the sense that he's become quite embittered, you know, in many respects, which is yeah. very different from the you know in-ring destroyer and 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 charismatic like happy-go-lucky guy outside the ring that we've come to sort of know and love since you know he made his u.s debut um so like i get it i do still think in terms of just between the ropes there's a lot of merit to a third fight and uh in terms of options at middleweight it certainly remains one of the more uh intriguing compelling ones for canelo i just kind of wonder at this point given the genuine animosity like Does you know Canelo holding the belts and holding the cards at this point? Does he just not want? Does he want to kind of, you know, run Golovkin ragged outside the ring a little bit, make him wait, make him think he's going to get the fight, and then not give it to him? You know, like he holds all the cards, and I mean, he can do whatever he wants. He's got this huge deal, and and I'm 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 not convinced (laughs) that there's like enough goodwill between the camps to uh, to make it happen this year. You know, especially Golovkin's fighting in June. Would he be ready for September? Like it's yeah,
1: well, he's fighting Steve Rolls in June. So, I mean, you know, that might be uh, two or three minutes at work. I'm not sure what Rolls has to offer. I, to be honest, I don't I don't know much about Steve Rolls. Uh, you know, I think that might just be a light tune-up fight at DAZN. But from Criminela's perspective, and he's said this multiple times, his goal is to unify the middleweight division. And his goal is to unify at middleweight. There's really no reason to risk his three titles now against Triple G when Triple G has nothing to offer back at him. Mm -hmm. Canelo Canelo would much rather fight Demetrius Andrade, Mm -hmm. uh, WBO champion, to have all four belts. And then maybe after that, take on Triple G for good measure. Uh, By which point Triple G will likely be at least a year older and and maybe uh, less effective in the ring. I, I personally am more excited about a Demetrius Andrade fight than triple G and not because I think it would be a more action packed fight. I, I just think it's an interesting style matchup, a tall prime rangy Southpaw like Andrade who's never lost before and is confident enough to not go into the ring and, uh, and get starstruck or, or mm-hmm. at, at least as far as I know. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I think he could present some real technical issues to Canelo and I think he's at his best and, uh, the fact that it's for all four belts for what that's worth, um, it still makes the promotion significant and it still makes Canelo uh, Mm -hmm. one of the few fighters that could unify all four titles in a division. The first unified middleweight champion since Jermaine Taylor in 2005. Um, So there is some merit to that fight. And honestly, if I had to pick between the two, I might be in the minority, but I'd rather see Canelo Andrade in September. um, If Andrade can get past uh, Macy as in June, than, uh than
0: triple G canelo three. i I love the canelo Andrade fight like I'm a huge fan of that matchup uh, I really want to see it uh I, I'd like to see uh, andrade look good you know in uh, in, in June when uh, he fights uh Sletsky at home you know big homecoming fight for him um you know a lot of people I, I I feel like the narrative with Andrade gets a bit tired you know like every time he fights people are waiting for some kind of like like for him to like basically finally decapitate an opponent or something. Like it's ridiculous. You know, the yeah. guy's an excellent boxer. You know, they shouldn't make every one of his fights about is this going to be the super exciting like breakthrough that we're waiting for. The guy's shown he's elite. He's got a t- title. He'll be making a second defense. He's a worthy opponent uh, for Canelo. Like you said, the unification intrigues me. The style matchup intrigues me. Um, you know, as long as he wins and wins convincingly, he should be like 1A or 1B in terms of in line to fight Canelo if Canelo wants to stay a middleweight, you know, for his next fight. So, yeah, I mean, I think he does present some problems. I think he's a better, uh, you know, Jacobs, I found he looked a bit, not like he, he wasn't, certainly wasn't stiff in there. But what didn't seem like overly light on his feet, Andrade's a great mover. Yeah. He's got that fluidity. Uh, I think he could really change angles on Canelo. He's got a good jab. I like that matchup a lot. I mean, obviously he hasn't fought as a pro on that level yet. And and he certainly deserves a chance to, uh, based on what he's shown. And now that, especially now that he's more active as well.
1: Definitely. I think Demetrius Andrade, he's, uh, he's very underrated to some extent. I, I think he should get a lot more credit than he did in the Artur Akovav fight. Yeah. Remember Akovav is a fighter that gave Billy Joe Saunders a close, very competitive fight when they fought. Uh, ended up losing that fight but andrade dominated from the opening bell more or less and and got a controversial stoppage in the end but kind of undershadowed just a brilliant performance that i thought he was putting on uh, or overshadowed rather a brilliant performance that i thought he was putting on up until that so yeah it's definitely the fight i want to see and you know from canelo's perspective he's putting the work to get three of the titles that middleweight you know why not go for the fourth at this point unless uh unless a phony mandatory is holding him back or, or something like that yeah. might as well cash in on the fourth if he can and, and, and get out of there, maybe 168 before, yeah. uh, uh, unless he can't uh, find a better fight at 160, but
0: yeah. And, I was going to say this, especially too, because it's such a makeable fight. I mean, and you know, it's so yeah. rare to see a unification fight for two belts to begin with. Like when you have the opportunity, there is significance and merit uh, to that, I, I think. And, uh, and I, I just wanted to ask you, you know, uh, just going back to the Jacobs fight for a second, did you feel that, because, uh, you know, we, we both have already talked about what we admired in Canelo's performance, and there was a lot to admire for sure, but do you feel he could have done more as well?
1: Uh, I felt like he could have closed the show a little better against Danny Jacobs, although it's easier said than done because Jacobs decided to wake up in the second half of the fight and, yeah. you know, put it on Canelo. Canelo's never been the strongest finisher. I think the strongest he's ever finished that I've seen was against Triple G in their first fight because I thought he took off too many rounds early on and and saved probably too much energy in their first fight. I thought that you know Canelo's uh, game plan in the first fight was uh, was 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 not ideal for uh, for for winning a decision. I thought he took off a lot of the middle rounds. Of course, that ended up not being the case. But yeah, this is his typical you know, fading late type of performance that he showed against Austin Trout when he he dominated most of the first half of the fight. And then he faded late towards the end and still did enough to win a decision. You know, I'd like to see him come in at the kind of condition that he could start strong and then finish even stronger, if possible, even get his opponent out of there. But, you know, he's in against one of the best middleweights in the world, one of the best, you know, maybe top 50 fighters in the world. Yeah. Uh, So you can't really knock him. Uh, he, he won a decisive, uh, on paper, close unanimous decision against arguably the second or third best middleweight in the world. Uh, yeah, I, I don't really have too much to criticize him on. Um, uh, and yeah, that, that's just where I stand on the Canelo fight.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, uh, if, if you beat, some, you know, if it's a competitive fight, but you do win as clearly as Canelo did, I mean. You know, you got to give him pretty much top marks for that against a guy like Jacobs. Uh, so, you know, well done to him. And, and I'm just happy that that fight got made, you know, like the Rocky fielding, we kind of gave him like a pass, whatever first fight of that deal. But it's good to yeah. see him win against, uh, you know, as lineal champ, one of his top contenders. Let's put it that way. Um, and, and, and so that's good. We need more fights like that.
1: Yep. So on the undercard, we had uh, the co-feature Virgil Ortiz Jr., improving his unbeaten record, stopping Mauricio Herrera, former title challenger, for the first time Herrera's ever been stopped. Uh, it's a sensational performance, really. He scored a uh, knockdown in the second, blasted him out in the third, really knocked him out standing up. Came as a surprise to many people, including myself. I thought Herrera would be one to give him the rounds.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, it makes you think, what, what's next for this kid? I mean, he's very young. Does he fight someone like Eve's Ulysses? Oh, man. <laughs> that. That would be a terrific
0: fight, right? It, it would. I mean, you know, Eves is my guy, so like, I'm, I don't know if I want that next for him. Yeah. Uh, but at, the, at the same time, I mean, uh, just in terms of the, the fight itself and Ortiz's performance against Herrera, I mean, I, I'm just impressed by a kid that young who, who fights with so much control and discipline, you know, hands held high, no wasted movements whether you know punches or, or foot movement i mean just rock solid and laser focused he kind of has that eerie you know poise in the ring from like true assassins um yeah. and, and the way he sort of patiently stalked and, and broke herrera down and you know of course that 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 right hand that, that had herrera out on his feet was you know something to behold like the kind of frightening one-punch power that you know the truly truly elite uh, and, and even the elite of the elite uh, yeah kind of possess so um i'm curious to see i mean obviously this was a welterweight fight um oscar de la hoya talked very you know it was very clear that he can drop down to 140 and likely would uh to chase a title shot mm-hmm. i mean given the way like someone like an evilness for example can move and and is also very adept at fighting in the pocket i think uh, i think that'd be a fascinating uh, fascinating matchup, and and Ulysses has fought like a lot of solid contenders and gatekeepers, so he has the kind of experience and amateur background and level of opposition where that would be a great fight. I would just kind of <laughs> rather it be for a title, let's say, than uh, than than something that could potentially stop uh, Eve from getting a shot that he's very close to nabbing uh, yeah. uh, for himself. But but definitely that kind of fight. Uh, Ortiz is clearly ready for that kind of like top 10, top 15 contender like any of this without a doubt um, and would probably be favored against almost anyone uh, in that standing.
1: Yeah. A uh, very exciting prospect to look at going forward. Also on the card, we had Joseph Jojo Diaz Jr. Former title challenger at 126, moving up to 130 and stopping Freddie Fonseca calling out Tevin Farmer in the process. They got into it in the pre-fight. Yeah. Clearly some bad blood. Tevin Farmer was of the opinion that Diaz had to earn the shot at him. You know, I, I think he's done more than enough to earn that shot. I think he gave Gary Russell Jr. a very good fight at 126. And yeah. uh, even though he was in against an overmatched opponent in Fonseca, I thought he looked sensational at 130. Uh, I don't see what the issue with that fight being made now is. I, I think that's a very good fight. Uh, I'm very impressed with Jojo Diaz. How about you?
0: Oh, definitely. I mean, I've always been a fan of his, uh, you know, of course, like the the sort of easy thing that people have always said about him on the way up and stuff is, is there enough power? What about the power? Is the power going to develop? I thought he showed really good balance, punching power, and, and, and just like ability to fight in close and in the pocket in this one. And that's what was super impressive to me. I mean, he doesn't obviously have Virgil Ortiz type power, certainly not. But when you're in position and you're comfortable in close, slipping punches, blocking, countering, leading the way that he is, you know, those add up. And I mean, what this fight was, was a systematic breakdown you know, from uh, from from round one through to the end at seven. I mean, uh, he, he showed pretty much every punch in the book, great body attack. Um, I, I, I like just the the attitude that he came in with as well. You know, like he had this said to with Farmer beforehand. Uh, there was the whole thing, like you just mentioned, about earning a shot. And, you know, he showed that he is a top contender at 130. And that would be a great fight i mean farmer has become one of the more likable uh uh, title holders in boxing just through his activity and you know he's a charismatic guy i've had the chance to interview him once he's he's great he's different you know Mm. kind of answers that he gives uh and how can you not root for the guy after what he's been through um he's a very interesting fighter too i think it'd be a good style matchup i think both guys would you know Fighting close, skilled in fighting, uh, and 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 at a range where they would both always kind of be in position to land power shots. And even though they're they're both not the strongest punchers, certainly, I think it could really make for fireworks. I think it's just a matchup on paper.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was surprised how many fireworks came out of Tevin Farmer and uh his last opponent, Jono Carroll. Oh, yeah. And I think Jojo Diaz would be a step up in competition for Tevin Farmer. Notably, I think it'd be his toughest fight by far. I mean, Tevin Farmer's competition, he's fighting frequently, but he's not fighting top-level fighters. And a lot of it's not his fault. You know, he went on the war path trying to call out Tank Davis for as long as he could. Right now, he's kind of seems to be over it to some extent. Mm -hmm. I know when he fought and defended his title at the Garden on the undercard of Canelo Fielding, he was saying, you know, it sounded like he was done chasing after tank davis and he was satisfied with his position in the zone and his activity i think the jojo diaz fight would really would be uh, a really good fight for him to make a statement really show uh his worth at 130 and and as a world-class fighter and, and yeah. get out of that
0: and i think it was in the uh, the post-fight presser i think it was when eddie hearn was on the mic he was saying something to the effect of we should do like a match room versus golden boy this yeah. hard and that could be one of the fights and I love that idea. I think it's great. Uh, yeah. and, and, you know, with, with, with the zone being the network that they're both on, like easy to do, that's an interesting angle. This would be a great fight. And, you know, uh, we talked about how good it would be in the ring based on what they showed us, uh, in their little encounter there, I think it would be quite the promotion as well. Uh, but I totally agree with your point about it being a step up for, uh, Tevin farmer. I mean, you know, Diaz has the pedigree, He's been in with, like you said, Gary Russell gave him a really good fight. Uh, he's fought a lot of credit, credible guys to earn his standing. Uh, yeah. I think this is the perfect kind of fight for two guys who are, you know, really like in their primes or in JoJo's case, probably entering his prime. Um, fantastic matchup. I hope we see it this year.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And it's great to see matchroom boxing and Golden Boy uh we being able to make fights against each other because they're associated with the same network and DAZN mm-hmm. Uh can't really say the same for top rank and mm-hmm. and uh PPC fighters under Heyman. You know, we still have network and promotional barriers between them. Whereas historically we've had less network barriers to deal with. And with the rise of the streaming networks that we know and love today. Yeah that's just another barrier to entry, so to speak. And uh I do have an article coming up on the Fight City describing just that too many barriers of entry uh to entry and uh basically the history of how uh, different barriers have evolved over the years but anyways the last fight we want to talk about on canelo jacobs says uh, uh, lamont roach jr who uh was well interviewed for the fight city before uh his fight on the canelo undercar but he squeaked by jonathan okendo a number five ranked wbo junior featherweight excuse me a, a super featherweight contender and uh, won a 10 round unanimous decision a very close fight a fight that it didn't look like he was going to prevail in early but uh a fight that's a significant victory because going into it roach was the number two ranked fighter by the wbo at 130 right behind ryan garcia and given mm-hmm. that they're both golden boy fighters uh, you know it's a fight that could be made or one or the other can go for the title shot at 130 against masayutu uh, ito if that fight can be made and um, I, I think that's probably more or less what golden boy would be aiming towards instead of putting two undefeated stable mates against each other but roach puts himself in the in the making for some uh, top level fights and some people are not impressed by him and don't think he's ready for it but he will have the opportunity
0: to show what he's made of in those kind of fights. So how did you Uh, feel about his performance in, in, in this one? Because, uh, you know, we were talking before and, and, and some, some things kind of jogged in my memory about it. And, you know, he was like bloodied up a little bit, had to, had to kind of like grind it out, you know? So what did you think in terms of like impressive versus necessary learning experience?
1: I mean, the fact that he's a DC fighter makes me naturally biased towards him. I, I want the best for him uh he's you know, a dc fighter born and raised um you know i've, I've gotten to know his dad pretty well uh, they have a good amateur uh, stable good gym uh he was outgunned for most of the fight for most of the first half of the fight okendo was the stronger fighter who's walking through him pushing him around uh it didn't look like a fight roach was going to win i thought he lost uh several of the first uh several of the first uh rounds or so and it it didn't look like he was strong enough to keep Okendo off and make him respect him. And yeah, I thought he had to dig deep and grit it out. And but to me, that was that was an impressive show of character. Mm-hmm. Now I, I realize the the limitations of Lamont Roach and that you know he's not a big puncher, he's not that physically strong. He's got a lot of heart and good form, but uh, you know, against a fighter who's stronger than him and is more able than Jonathan Okendo. Uh, Who's a former title challenger in his own right? You know, I think Lamont Roach might be looking at a uh, uh, at at a long night or uh, or Mm -hmm. so against top level fighters, but I think he's earned the right to that opportunity. But uh, he he certainly needs to either you know increase his strength on the inside, which is difficult, or uh, become a harder target, really, because I, I thought he was, you know, he 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 chose to win the fight by gritting it out on the inside when, you know, I think if he was able to control the distance a little better, he uh, wouldn't have to do that. And I think that's probably going to be the only way he could win against stronger, more world-class fighters than Jonathan Akendo in the future. So uh, it's a little nerve wracking seeing him step up in opposition, but, Mm -hmm. you know, he's certainly deserving of it. So we'll just have to see how it unfolds. He's
0: 23, you know, so there's there's time to develop, obviously. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So we uh, will definitely see more of him in the future. Uh, on the ESPN Plus card, we had Artur Biterbiev making the second defense of his IBF light heavyweight title. Second defense in a year and a half, but uh, he is free from Group Yvonne Michel. He signed with top rank. Fight was on ESPN, and Biterbiev improved to 14 and 0 with all by knockout in his fifth round KO of, I don't think I'm pronouncing his first name correctly, Radovoj. Kalajdik. Hot rod. <laughs> yep. Hot rod yeah. Uh Scoring a fifth round knockout. And Kalajdik, he's a pretty good fighter. He, he looked yeah. good in there. He's looked good before it. His only loss before that was against Marcus Brown in a split decision fight that he had Brown on the canvas. And Marcus Brown's a very good fighter. Yeah. And, um, you know, Kalajdik was blasted out by Biterviev in five rounds. Yeah, so I don't know if uh, what your take of that was. I thought it was a very impressive performance by Beterbiev.
0: Absolutely. To be honest with you, I was a bit surprised in the buildup of how many people were were kind of you know pegging Beterbiev as, as quite vulnerable. I mean, you know, he obviously the inactivity has always been an issue since he's been a pro. Uh, with the, you mentioned the legal battles with Yvonne Michel that are you know now behind him at this point, um, but I mean, this is. You know, you, 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 there are few guys who are better schooled amateurs than than better BF, you know, with just like a, a wealth of experience, two Olympic games, uh, been fighting, you know, very credible competition pretty much since the beginning of his pro career because he was so advanced. Uh, I, I never really worried about it in, in, in that sense. I mean, uh, Hot Rod, I'm just going to call him, you know, for the sake of expediency here. He uh, is a good, good fighter, like you mentioned, and, and certainly was a legitimate threat and challenger. But I, I always just, I went into this fight kind of expecting better be able to deliver an impressive performance more so than, you know, worried that he, you know, might get caught or might, uh, you know, produce a dud uh, or, or anything like that. He in the French media, I was reading a couple of articles over the last few days, and he was actually quite self-critical of his uh, performance. Yeah. He sort of said he wanted a chance to show more of his boxing skills. He kind of conceded that maybe just the, you know, the the nature of the fight and the opponent of it being you know, just trending more towards the slug fest from the get go, Yeah. Uh, kind of into that. And maybe he got caught up in it a little bit, but he took a couple of hard shots in those exchanges and looked really solid, which was encouraging, especially because we've seen him, you know, kind of get sent on his ass a few times. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For- we
1: saw that against Callum Johnson in his last fight and yeah. he was hurt. He was hurt in the fourth round. Kalaj after he knocked, or yeah. excuse me, uh, Ben Turbiev was hurt in the fourth yeah. round after he knocked Kalaj down in the third round. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing that worries me about Baterbiev is he's, he's got that warrior mentality that when he gets hurt, he doesn't hold, he goes right back at his opponent mm-hmm. and against a fighter that's stronger, like, uh, Alexander Vazdik or, mm-hmm. uh, Sergei Kovalev or even Bivol, maybe not Bivol because I don't think Bivol is as big of a light heavyweight puncher as, uh, he was brought up to be. Yeah. Uh, but against the other two titleists besides Bivol, I, I think that's might be a tendency that, uh, and an instinct rather that that might hurt him in yeah. his, uh, warrior mentality when hurt because Callum Johnson and Kalajdick are, are good fighters, but if you get hurt by them and you decide to fight your way out of it, you know, you m- might just do that mm-hmm. in, in which he did. Uh, mm-hmm. but it's going to be, it's, it's certainly something to look out for. Uh, and I did see where he was trying to make a boxing match out of it early on, but mm-hmm. ultimately he got lured to a brawl. Uh, I think he got maybe a little excited when he got Kalachnikov hurt early on, but you know, impressive performance by Batoryev.
0: Yeah, and I mean, the punching power is undeniable, um, and and also the the kind of seek and destroy mentality is appealing. So I think with sustained activity, he's a guy who uh, you know, and with the top rank backing at this point, he's a guy who could uh, you know really appeal to uh, to, to I think a, you know fairly wide section of of fans uh, because of that style and and you know despite the fact that he had that ugly split with Yvonne michel he still gets front page coverage here in the french media because he still Mm -hmm. trains with mark ramsey he's still based out of montreal so you know there's there's that fan base as well so he's not just kind of like some random guy who's been brought in from from russia who's really frightening and 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 kind of has no fan base whatsoever so you know i think too and the thing that i I found watching better be of early in his career like i watched his pro debut live i've been there for a number of his fights in quebec Mm -hmm. and when he was more active i found him to be much more patient in the ring so i don't know if i attribute Mm -hmm. it to rust but maybe more just a sense of now that he's a world title holder and fighting at the top level those long gaps between fights kind of i'm just speculating at this point but maybe create like a bit of anxiety to impress that definitely
1: um, makes sense yeah definitely makes sense that that is i remember him as a more calm and uh collected fighter especially in his first fight for the title mm-hmm. in uh fighting enrico bowling and he knocked him out in the 12th round but he did seem very patient yeah. uh probably a little too reserved for for my interest i, I almost prefer his style right now where it's seek and destroy mentality mm-hmm. but um uh, Yeah, I mean, he's a big puncher, you know, I want to see him use it as fast as possible, because (laughs) that's just unfortunately how I am. (laughs) Yeah, uh,
0: but it makes sense. And I mean, the thing with him is, you know, just going back to that point about, you know, anxiety to impress. I mean, he's 34 years old, right? So he, the activity, unfortunately, cut into a big section of his prime. I mean, he's not a guy who's taken a ton of punishment, even though he's been down a few times. So he, he does seem, like, fresh and, and, and still very much elite, obviously. But the time is now to make those unification fights. I mean, the Kovalev fight is a natural one, you know, just because of the, the, the amateur history. Better Beev went 2-0 against Kovalev in the amateurs. Mm. Uh, it's a great matchup, too, just stylistically. Yeah. And, 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 you know, Kovalev being uh, a, a better boxer from range, probably, but better Beev, you know... Having that maybe that slight psychological edge and, and and that great punching power and ability to work his way in, I think that would be a, a fascinating matchup. Especially considering how Kovalev looked against the leader Alvarez uh, in their rematch, uh, kind of like a fresher, spryer,
1: yeah, a version of him. The biggest mystery in the light heavyweight division and almost in all of boxing is Sergey Kovalev. How much does he have left? Yeah. Uh, how much doesn't he uh, after the stoppage loss to Ward and and then. Uh, a leader Alvarez, you know, almost I, I couldn't I couldn't find anybody that would think that he would be right back in the mix at 175. It almost it almost felt like a foregone conclusion, mm-hmm. and almost like kind of a coming out party for the new champion Alvarez at the time in the rematch that he was going to get another decisive victory over Kovalev. I think that was one of the more surprising performances in recent years that Kovalev put himself back on the map like that. But you still have to ask yourself you know, against. Someone like Bitterbiev, who's a little more vicious in there than yeah. you know, than leader Alvarez, and yeah. and uh, and and more and younger and more uh, willing to mix it up. How much can Kovalev stand up to that? I mean, he certainly has the ability to outbox him, but for how long? Mm-hmm. These are going to be very important questions. Uh, whether or not he fights Beturbiev or Vazdik, mm-hmm. the important thing is that these unifications happen, and we have four excellent, excellent light heavyweight champions. And three of them, or two of them, have the same exact promotional and uh, network involvement, in Vosdick and Beterbia. There's no reason that unification fight shouldn't happen. Uh, Dezone has, has Dimitri Bivol, so I could see some problems there. And uh, Kovalev, he's fought in ESPN in his last fight. I don't know if he has a network deal. And he's associated with Main Events, who's done business with a lot of different promoters in the past. Mm-hmm. So, really, with the exception of Bibble, i I, can't, I don't see why the other three title holders aren't uh, actively unifying against one another. I think mm-hmm. this division is long overdue for a unification. and uh, yeah, and, and and certainly, Marcus Brown deserves to be mentioned in the mix because I've never seen anyone dominate uh, Badu Jack the way he did. Mm-hmm. And I thought he looked brilliant in that fight, and I think he's a long, tall, rangy one hundred and seventy five pounder. Southpaw. And I I think he's just as good as almost any of them, at least by the eye test. So,
0: and it'll be interesting to see, sorry, I was just going to say, because, you know, he's going to be fighting Jean Pascal, uh, Houston. And, uh, based on the fact that Bivol couldn't take Pascal out when Pascal is clearly past his best and didn't really have much to offer in terms of meaningful offensive resistance. Uh, if Marcus Brown can lay a real beating on Pascal. And you, you know me, like I say that uh, with a lump in my throat. Cause Pascal- it's, a,
1: it's a horrible thing. It's, yeah. it's horrible. How Pascal is being used as an opponent it's, when I, I saw that, when I saw that fight, it was, it was yeah. disgusting. I mean, it, <laughs>
0: it's, it, sad. It, it's sad. I don't want to see him, you know, become completely just kind of like a, you know, a punching bag by the end of it. I mean, the ball thing, I, I kind of watched that fight on mute with like one eye closed. Cause I was so worried. Yeah. I mean, he's basically the reason I became a hardcore fight fan here, like him and Bute, you know, coming up in yeah. Montreal. Uh, and and so to see that, uh, I, I'm very concerned for the Marcus Brown fight because Brown is pretty nasty in there. And yeah. the range and, and the southpaw power, I mean, God, like, but, but you know, all that aside, my personal feelings aside, uh, if, if, if he does take Pascal out impressively, that's going to be a nice statement. It still means something.
1: Uh, it wouldn't mean anything to me because I personally think Pascal should have retired or someone should have made him retire after the second fight against Kovalev. You know, I I thought that was, uh, a telltale sign that his competitive days are over. Uh, yet again, he's still out there, still fighting class fighters. And, uh, he took a horrible beating against Bivol. I don't want to see that happen against Brown, but it's probably going to happen. Unfortunately. Yeah. Uh,
0: but just compared to the yeah. performance, like if Brown, let's say, can stop him early, that would be yeah. that would be interesting. At least, yeah, considering that Bivol, you know, that he went twelve with Bivol.
1: Yeah. Yep. And uh, Bivol's punching power at one seventy five was one of the greatest myths of recent years. I think going into the Isaac Chalemba fight, he was thought of as the biggest puncher potentially at one seventy five um chilemba fight took a little bit of steam out of that certainly the pascal fight took a lot of steam out of that in my opinion yeah uh um his last fight against joe smith by and large did he had smith hurt once but he was actually hurt himself against joe smith i think Bivol is probably a fighter that would be better suited at 168 pounds which he stated that he would be open to you know yeah. i think I think dehydrating down to 168 pounds and fighting against a guy like Callum Smith oh, love that. uh, or, or maybe even Canelo down the line. I think that would make more sense for him from a competitive aspect. Uh, not saying he wouldn't hold his own against fellow light heavyweight champions, but I wouldn't pick him to win a Don King middleweight t- type tournament between the light heavyweight champions. If, you well, know, yeah. you know, the turn of the 21st century middleweight tournament resurfaced at 175 <laughs> pounds. I, I wouldn't, pick Bivol to be the favorite he might be able to beat uh Sergei Kovalev but I certainly wouldn't pick him against Beterbiev and uh Vazdik well I might pick him against Beterbiev but definitely not Vazdik <laughs> what am I saying he could probably beat two of them he might be able to beat two of them yeah. but he wouldn't be the favorite in my mind
0: no and realistically I mean he's not not close to landing any of those fights based on you know what you just mentioned earlier about you know network allegiances promotional alliances all that kind of stuff so uh, considering that he's with the zone, looking south to 168, I mean that presents not only more well, not more interesting, but uh, potentially as interesting and more lucrative maybe options. You know, especially if he can get in the mix for uh, a Callum Smith fight. I don't know, uh, better Bevall. Uh, he doesn't have a big fan base, obviously. So traveling to the UK, a fight like that would be massive in the UK, uh, yeah. and obviously Canelo is the the kind of prize that everyone wants. So if he's hopping up to 168 and b-balls moving down i mean for an 11 fight deal that would be uh, an a-plus uh, matchup in my view i'd love to see that definitely
1: so well, speaking of a-plus matchups fight city yesterday published a look back article on castillo corrales one or rather corrales castillo one oh, yeah. uh fight in mandalay bay may 7 2005 many call it the greatest fight of all time uh do you call it the greatest fight of all time? There's usually not too much controversy about this one, but I have somewhat of a dissenting
0: opinion. I mean, that's a bold statement to make, you know, I, yeah. I, I, I'm a big boxing fan. I don't consider myself enough of a historian to make a confident claim like that. <laughs> definitely up there without a doubt. Yeah. It, it is one of those fights, uh, with, you know, that, Kind of defies description in many ways. You know, boxing's always been the kind of sport that's, you know, attracted uh, you know a certain level of writers and and, and commentators and stuff. And you know, in terms of their you know ways to describe narrative and, and depict the action, but you it, 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 there's nothing that can really do justice to that fight. You know, there's nothing I could say that could elevate it more than, than me just saying, like, go watch it. If you haven't, you know, <laughs> like uh, <laughs> it's, it's really that, uh, that memorable, that impressive I rewatched it last night, you know, after we were talking about, uh, doing the podcast and, and talking about it. And it's, it's, it's easy to forget. Cause everyone talks about round 10, obviously that it was f- like by far fight of the year leading up to that, like even without that round 10, which just took it to the next like transcendent level. Yeah. It was an incredible fight up to that point. Um, and, and I don't know, I mean, I'm, I'm curious, like, for you, uh, growing up in Canada, and I grew up in a household where, like, I didn't feel like I had easy access to boxing on television. Yeah. And that was before I became a hardcore fan. So I came to that fight later. Uh, it wasn't something – it was something like, you know, probably watching SportsCenter in Canada that, like, mm. we mentioned and stuff. But it wasn't something – I was in high school at the time or at the end of high school that – I was as aware as i wish i'd been you know what i mean yeah Uh, i came to it later and i'm wondering what your experience was in terms of like that fight in your memory and and and, and kind of what role it plays in in you as a boxing fan
1: yeah i mean i was in fifth grade at the time i was 11 years old uh it was Right when I was starting to get into boxing, but like a lot of other hardcore boxing fans, right at the beginning, the uh, inception of getting into boxing is like a very extreme amount of <laughs> knowledge that you're taking in. It's I don't yeah. know. For me, it was very exciting. Like I picked up a Burt Sugar book called The Great Fights uh, in a public library when I was maybe nine or 10. And, you know, ever since then, I just hooked on the stuff. Mm-hmm. And this was one of uh, the biggest... Spe- I remember watching it in my living room uh, by myself late at night, probably 10, 11 at night. Mm-hmm. And I was on Showtime, and it, like, I mean, it was a terrific fight throughout, but the ending, obviously, is what made the fight stand out as maybe one of the greatest fights of all time, mm-hmm. in that, you know, you're you're thinking there's no way Corrales is going to make it out of this round. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, you see this small shift, and and in your darkest imagination, you're thinking... Well, what if he comes back and he survives, and then it's what if he comes back and he he could pull this out later, and then it's oh my god, what if he knocks him out right here, and then it's over? It just all spun out of control. It was completely insane. And you know, Steve Albert did a lot of justice in uh, being the blow by blow commentator. I thought, yeah. you know, his uh, his his excitement, his his uh, his enthusiasm was spot on, pretty much summed up how everyone else was feeling. And then you see Winky Wright and James Tony, I believe in, 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 in the front row and they're going nuts. Yeah. Winky Wright, you know, he's <laughs> defensive specialist, you know, never, uh, you know, very, uh, a really, a very safety first type fighter. And he's, I, I would never expect him to, I mean, I guess anybody would love this fight, but <laughs> for yeah. me, I was kind of surprised to see, uh, him have so much of appreciation for this brutality uh, at least that was my take of him back in two thousand five. Uh, yeah, it was, it was. just such an event, and I just I I always think of the roar of the crowd mm-hmm. like once once Corrales gets raised onto Joe Goosen's shoulders. Yeah, and it was just such a. It was unlike most much of what I've heard before. I think that kind of reaction is what made that fight so unique. And yeah, uh, yeah, it was really incredible moment for the sport.
0: And, and and it's also that fight that, that that definitely leaves you, especially like in the last round and 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 when the fight was stopped and in the immediate aftermath, with just like some really like indelible images, you know, just like after that first knockdown, like that that close-up shot of Corrales' face and how messed yeah. up it was, and you know him spitting out the mouthpiece, and then like the two shots we get of Joe Goosen saying you better get inside <laughs> him now, and then adding yeah. an expletive the second time around. I mean you know, and then Castillo being led back to his corner after. And it's, it, they're just like, it's the action, but it's also like, for me, some of those specific images that I can kind of like recall and that come to mind that just make the whole thing so damn special. Um, it, you know, like those still shots of it too. Uh, it's it's really, it's it, it just absolutely amazing. And the great thing about the 10th round too is like, It like you said, it got crazy and escalated. But like from the beginning, like it was that single (laughs) left hook, almost like right as the round started, and you're like, "Holy shit!" Boom. (laughs) Yeah, and then from there, like you said, it was just this snowball that got completely out of control. And just the kind of you know, like if you're a fan of a fighter and they're losing a fight, you always kind of like hope for that kind of rally that, in ninety nine point nine percent of cases, just happens. Obviously except this time it did happen. So I can't yeah. imagine what it must have been like to be a hardcore Diego Corrales fan and to live that kind of swing of emotions in like a two minute stretch, you know? Yeah. Uh, like I said, I wasn't like a huge boxing fan when when the fight actually happened. I was just getting into it. And so, you know, I've of course like admire and, 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 and respect the hell out of uh, Corrales and for what he accomplished. But I wasn't like at the time, some rabid Corrales fan. So for those people, I mean, what a moment that must have been.
1: Well, Corrales was on a real, was on a strong winning streak at that point. You know, he, he, uh, obviously the Mayweather fight was a huge setback. And then he lost the first fight to Joel Casamayor. He won the second fight with Joe Goosen, I believe. And then Asselino Freitas, he stopped him. First man to ever beat Asselino Freitas. That was a huge victory. Come from behind, made Freitas quit. And then to punctuate all of that with the Jose Luis Castillo, you know, knockout out out of nowhere uh on the verge of being stopped and castillo was a solid solid lightweight at that time yeah uh yeah corrales was on top of the world and Mm -hmm. uh yeah it didn't look like he had any business winning that fight after the first two knockdowns of the 10th round i know castillo said he thought that anywhere he hit him in the head corrales was going to go down after that second knockdown after he got up uh i had the same feeling i think a lot of people did and he pulls it out i you know it it beats me to this day uh do i think it's the greatest fight of all time no i think chavez taylor is the greatest fight of all time i always will uh because i just think it was fought on a much higher level uh Mm -hmm. the drama and the controversy was there probably more controversy a lot more controversy in that one than uh castillo corrales but you know I, i i look at that as a masterful performance by both fighters and you know, everyone loves to see the tides slowly shift, and you know, one fighter getting broken down slowly over time. And I think Chavez did a really good job of quietly breaking Taylor down in a manner that no one really expected until you know Taylor is ultimately done in there. So I, I still think that's my favorite fight of all time. Uh, I would put Ali-Frazier three right up there, mm-hmm. but uh, hagler Hearns maybe up there. But Corrales Castillo is certainly in the top five, in my opinion. So. Oh yeah,
0: and I mean, you know, at that point, you're 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 picking between like a, a, anyone based on whatever little personal preferences they have are going to rank those in any any sort of order. But yeah, like it's it's in that stratosphere, that pantheon, or whatever you want to call it. One thing I wanted to ask you, Alden, and I was thinking about this, uh, you know, when when you said we were going to talk about the fight, and I know you ref boxing, so I was just wondering if you could speak to because you know, <laughs> the tenth round was so crazy. Um, and 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 just like the the way they were allowed to infight throughout as well. Could you just speak to you know Tony Weeks's handling of that entire fight and just how what you thought of of, of the referee's role and all of it? Because sometimes like a great fight can transpire uh, yeah. thanks to the help of of a certain type of official.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't remember Weeks's role up until the tenth round. Yeah, I think exactly everybody exactly. everybody remembers.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the two
1: fighters fought very i mean the two fighters didn't clinch very often they were he was letting them fight because to do anything but would be sacrilege right. uh, because they weren't fouling they were putting up a great fight against one another he he didn't need to be involved so he wasn't you know the referee is kind of like it's been described to me by a senior official as kind of like a spare tire like they're mm-hmm. only needed you know when they need the fight to run these mm-hmm. fighters were kind of governing themselves uh, he did need to get involved in the 10th round and take a point away from Corrales. Cause that was affecting the fairness there because Corrales by purposely taking out the mouthpiece was buying himself more time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that Asselino Freitas had a point docked against him. If I'm not mistaken, uh, in his fight against Corrales, when he was spitting out the mouthpiece, pretty sure a point was taken away from him. Uh, it was the correct call. I know as an amateur official, it's mandatory. Uh, the third time, Uh, a mouthpiece comes out intentional or not you take a point away and if they intentionally spit it out the first time it's a point uh i'm not sure how exactly it translates for professional referees but uh in principle is the right thing to do the stoppage i thought was right on point i think some people uh some crazy boxing sadists thought it was a quick stoppage oh my god i i don't know how uh anyone could get behind that but i've heard that argument before uh he stepped in at the right time and you know i his, his eyes rolled back he looked like a rag doll uh but he was in the pocket to jump in there yeah and i've seen referees good referees just not be close enough to the action to save a guy at the right time mm-hmm. uh you know I, i've seen arthur Mercanti in his earlier days really mess up against uh in the fight with Pernell whitaker and diobeles hurtado oh, yeah. i've seen uh I forgot the referee's name for the Ray Mercer versus Tommy Morrison fight. It might've been Tony Perez. I'm not a hundred percent sure yeah. that was horrible. Uh, he just wasn't there at the right time. He, well, yeah, it, it many unanswered punches, but to weeks, credit, you know, although he wasn't dealing with guys that were that heavy and he's much bigger than them, he jumped in and saved him right at the perfect time. It was the perfect stoppage. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he didn't get in the way. Uh, yeah, he, 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 uh, he didn't have the hardest assignment in front of him but he
0: certainly didn't spoil it <laughs> true true and, and i think just you know uh, sort of thought about this fight in general is you know whenever the anniversary of the fight comes up you, you kind of see on on social media uh and places like that how many people say not just that this fight made them a boxing fan but a hardcore boxing fan and i think yeah. like that in some ways is the, you know, one of the ultimate testaments to how great a fight is, right? If it's something that is so special and captivating that, you know, (laughs) you're not only going to become a fan of the sport, but one who's going to stick to it, especially with a sport that loves to abuse its fans as much as boxing. Like, you know, so if that's what hooks you in and makes you stay, I mean, that kind of really says it all. Definitely the standard bearer for
1: great fights in the modern boxing age corrales castillo if anyone hasn't seen it yet or at least hasn't seen it uh, recently enough to remember its historic value i highly recommend looking it up on youtube or whatever great fight and definitely read the fight city article recapping this great fight we published yesterday so in terms of the montreal boxing scene i know that you have a little bit to share with us zach
0: I do. Yeah. Um, well, so for, you know, a couple of weeks in a row, there were some, uh, golden boy fight night cards on Facebook, um, streaming, uh, the first one, a couple of weeks ago, saw Ivelis, who we were talking about in reference to, uh, Virgil Ortiz jr. Uh, a bit earlier, he, uh, got revenge and, and avenged his only career loss, which was a controversial one to begin with against fellow Canadian, Steve Claggett. <laughs> it was kind of a yeah. weird thing. Like, <laughs> great, great fight, great matchup, putting two Canadians in Indio, California. I mean, okay, fine, whatever. Um, but, of course, the stream crapped out at the fifth round, which was really frustrating because it was shaping into a tremendous battle between Ulysse, who, you know, I, I rank in the top 15 at 140, and, and Claggett, who has definitely been, like, either an elite gatekeeper slash fringe contender, you know, for a while now. So that was a really good fight. And, of course, that was the first one they kicked off this uh, – co-promotional deal that I, the tiger management up here, uh, signed with golden boy for three other fighters, either this, uh, Steven Butler and, uh, Eric Bisignan. you know, nine fights over three years with a guaranteed fight in Quebec, uh, at mm-hmm. least one year, which is huge for us here, you know, cause we've been building kind of a big stable of, of a very good up and coming talent, but you know, to take it to the next step or to the next level, you do have to link up with an American promoter. That's definitely the way to go. Um, and so last week, uh, just a couple of days before the Canelo card, we had Butler and Bazinian making their Golden Boy debuts, also down in the States and Vegas. Uh, first fights in the US for both of them. And I think what's interesting now, less so with this, because he's done it before and fought at a higher level, is you're seeing what happens when you kind of step outside your bubble, right? And outside of your comfort zone and outside of Montreal. And that would be the case for any fighter, right, who's been brought up in, like, a strong domestic market or domestic scene. And what we saw was a bit of a mixed bag, to be honest with you. Bazinian looked good. He uh, clearly outpointed a, uh, you know, rugged uh, rugged sort of gatekeeper Alan Kampa. Um, mm-hmm. Looked good doing it. He won almost every round. He did he – the first five rounds were more impressive than the last five. Let's put it that way. I mean, mm-hmm. he showed good stuff. He switched stances. He's only like 22 or 23 years old. I mean, he's very young. He's supremely talented. Um, overall, a solid performance against the guy. I mean, he hit Campo with everything and he was a guy who just, you know, not only wasn't going to go down, but was, wasn't even going to flinch, really. So mm-hmm. overall, a solid performance from Bazinian. Of course, he always, like for us, we have our Canadian inferiority complex. We wanted him to, you know, make a big statement. Um, and, and it was a good win, but not a massive statement, but that's fine. You know, he's definitely on the right track. Butler was interesting. I mean, this was a life or death struggle against Vitali Kopalenko, um, a Ukrainian 28 and uh, one coming in, who, uh, you know, had uh, lost to Willie Monroe, I believe was his only defeat um, mm-hmm. prior to Butler, uh, Willie Monroe Jr. Um, really fought good opposition recently, but you know, a Ukrainian guy, uh, has a lot more skill and was better than certainly better than his box rec ranking indicated. <laughs> um, and this was a tricky one because Butler for, you know, people in Montreal is kind of like, you know, Camila Stefan, head of eye of the tiger. He sort of described him as our Sidney Crosby, right? Like kind of like a first round draft pick or first overall draft pick kind of talent. Yeah. in many ways, yes. Like he's very athletic. He's got a ton of punching power. But the Kobalenko fight definitely reinforced that there are some major flaws to his game, namely his inability to avoid straight right hands. I mean, the, the body shots were what put him down in the eighth round, but uh, he, he's, he's very hittable, um, and, and that's a major concern. He also, I, I don't know if it was just an off night, but he just looked like he couldn't quite get his shots off with the same snap and fluidity as we're used to seeing. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, at the same time, he's 23 years old and his only loss is to Brandon cook, who people in the U S will probably only know for getting blasted out by Jaime Munguia in three rounds Mm -hmm. Well they'll think, okay, wow. So he lost to Brandon cook. What's the big deal? Why would golden boy sign this guy? There you need some context for that fight. The point is, is that it was at a lower weight, Butler was like 19 or 20. It was a bit too much too soon. He, he learned a lot from that fight, really matured, uh, you know, kind of got rid of the bad entourage, stuff like that, and, and did really well in stringing together a bunch of knockout wins, like I think seven or eight since the Cook fight, and, 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 and had really matured as a fighter. Um, and you saw it, like when Cook stopped him on his feet, he didn't know what to do when he was hurt.
1: Mm-hmm. In this
0: fight with Kopalenko, not only did he rally from an early eighth-round knockdown, Uh, to survive, but he, he, he did what, you know, we were just talking about with Corrales, Castillo spit out the mouthpiece intentionally (laughs) self time. So, you know, the savvy move it was. And, 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 and and although I didn't like to see the fact that he got hurt and that he honestly didn't look that great, it does show that he still has learned stuff from the cook fight. I mean, he has survival instincts. He's got some heart for sure. Um, But I do think that, golden boy and I, the tiger maybe just want to pump the brakes a little bit because butler is one of those guys who's got a lot of talent that i don't think he's as good as his rankings indicate right now i think he's ranked like fourth by the wbo at middleweight and he's not ready for guys in the top 10 at middleweight uh just yet but it's okay he's 23 and he's got a long-term deal with golden boy take your time with him he's he learned a lot from the butler loss i think he's gonna learn a lot or from the cook loss he's gonna learn a lot from this one i assume um but yeah take your time with him because it's a young guy with a ton of talent i think he's got the talent to win a world title but he's gonna have to be matched correctly and he's still got some things to work out in the gym so you know overall i'm glad to see our guys getting these chances uh in the u.s market against uh different fighters in montreal we see a lot of hungarian and mexican opponents so it's good to see them fighting, you know, guys from different parts of the world who present different challenges. And although it wasn't perfect, uh, sometimes you like to see your guys wade through a bit of adversity and still manage to to finish on their feet. It it shows something, and uh, you know, I'm not ready to throw them under the bus like some people. Let's put it that way.
1: Well, well, we'll Think of it this way. I mean, you got David Lemieux back in 2011. He was stopped by Marco Antonio Rubio of all people. Yeah, and then he and then he lost his next fight against Joachim Ausin and you know they rebuilt him the right way he's worked with golden boy to get where he is he got his career back on the right track got a title uh put himself in the making for a lot of big fights including to this day he's he's still sometimes Mm -hmm. mentioned as a possible opponent for canelo or even a top 168 pounder uh so you know i mean an early loss while in this day and age early losses uh can definitely derail you quite a bit in boxing they're not they're not a death sentence and with the right kind of management and golden boy is as you said is taking an interest in butler uh Mm -hmm. and bazinian they can certainly become they can well butler at least he can certainly overcome any adversity earlier in his career Mm -hmm. and um and put himself back into contention in the future you know I, i kind of view losses in boxing as as kind of uh um, kind of like a, like a car accident in terms of a uh, insurance company. I think after about three years, you start to get apologetic over them and, and, yeah. and look past them. At least that's the policy I take. Yeah. You know, when I, when I see a significant loss in the last two or three years, yeah, it impacts how I view them. But you know, if it's, if it's been over three years, you know, I'll, I'll let, a will let their premiums lapse a little bit. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll think of them in a different light. Uh, yeah, and each, each loss is important to take into context, as you mentioned. And, uh, you know, certainly with enough motivation and the right management, the right team, mm-hmm. uh, things can definitely happen that, that wouldn't happen otherwise for, yeah. for fighters that aren't managed correctly.
0: And the thing that I just find encouraging about Butler to make a final point is that, you know, the way he improved and matured between the Brandon Cook loss leading up to this fight was genuinely impressive. I was there live for a bunch of them. And so the fact that he was able to like concretely apply those lessons and become a noticeably better fighter, still being only 23 years old, gives me a lot of hope that this fight, you know, he managed to eke out a win. Controversial, I'll definitely say. Um, I am optimistic about what he can, what lessons he can take from it and also just the fact that he did show that kind of maturity and and, and savvy kind of beyond his, uh, beyond his years to, to survive and, 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 and finish the fight strong too. So uh, I think it's good when, when young fighters face adversity and are in there with real guys and, 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 you know, even if they don't have perfect performances, they do show wrinkles to their game. Um, uh, You know, I think we get a bit too caught up in expecting young fighters, especially on the way up to be punch perfect every time out well i I learned something about butler in this fight and uh you know wasn't nice to see him on the canvas but uh the way he rallied uh you know i think will serve him well going forward as the fights get even tougher
1: no i prefer it you know if they're facing adversity against lesser fighters uh they've been through that experience before and it won't be the first rodeo for them when they're in against a world-class fighter for a title possibly and uh I don't know. I'm thinking Fernando Vargas against Tito Trinidad. The yeah. first sign of, uh, the first time he was ever hurt in my, and of my knowledge was in the first 30 seconds against Trinidad. And, you know, mm-hmm. he had to overcome adversity on the spot in that fight, uh, right on the spot. And he did a decent job at it, but it's hard to think that, uh, things, I, I think he might've, uh, had an easier transition. Had he experienced that earlier in his career? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I I think there is definitely value in facing adversity, even when you're probably uh, advised not to against opponents that uh, should be more of like a coming out than than someone to really test your mettle in there. So I, I think Stephen Butler has a f- promising future in front of him. Uh, mm-hmm. Same goes for Eric Bazinian. Uh, I think Montreal has a lot to look forward to in the Montreal boxing stable going forward, and Fight City does a very good job covering them, so highly encourage everyone to check out the fight city for all the latest action uh, throughout the boxing world and also in the Montreal boxing scene. So that just about wraps it up for the 20th episode of the fight city podcast. Real pleasure having
0: you Zach. Likewise, man. Uh, Anytime. It was, it was a lot of fun.
1: Yep, absolutely. I look forward to hearing and seeing you guys all uh, on the next episode of the fight city podcast. Bye now.